0: It's great to look out and see all of you on this cold January morning. And if this happens to be your first time with us, I want to extend to you a special welcome and let you know that we're so glad you've joined us. And I hope that you will come to discover that this place is not only a, a, a wonderful place to come on Sunday mornings and worship the Lord, this is also a great place to find community. And whether this is your first Sunday with us or whether you've been coming for years. If you don't have a place yet where you're known and cared for and encouraged in your relationship with Jesus, we want to help you find that. And so later this month, we're hosting an event called A Taste of Community. Now, if you show up to this, it doesn't obligate you to sign up for anything. It's just an opportunity for you to meet some other people, uh, for, for us to get to know you a little bit better, and then for us to think with you uh, about... A ministry or a group that might be a good fit for you where you can get connected and and grow in your faith and experience community. And that event will be held on Wednesday, January 23rd. In the evening, we're providing childcare and dinner, so registration is appreciated. I also want to give you a beyond update. If you weren't with us this past fall and you have no idea what I'm talking about, we've got these little pamphlets out at the tables. Uh, when you leave in the foyer and at the resource center, and you can pick one up and hear a little bit more about our church's vision and the various components of our Beyond Initiative. But I'm excited to share with you that currently we have committed or pledged to be our Beyond Initiative or three million six hundred ninety-three thousand dollars, or ninety-three thousand five hundred and ninety-two dollars, and that's pretty exciting. Yeah, we we can clap for that. And I I know the question on many of your minds might be like, well, when are we going to get started, right? And the answer to that is real soon. Uh, Things are going to start looking a little bit different around here in February. And I'm just going to go ahead and um, ask for your patience in advance because there's going to be probably some times this spring and this summer when we're going to have to be A little bit creative as it comes to meeting space and what happens and we'll try and make sure that the construction has a minimal impact on our ministries but you can tell your children not to worry because the most important aspect of our Sunday morning ministries isn't going to change even if we might not always be able to mingle in the coffee bar we are still going to have goldfish and muffins so, you, yeah, you, you can thank a member of the coffee bar team after the service. Um, I, just on a personal note, it's, it's been really exciting to see the way that we as a community have come together to, to pursue this vision, and there's one person who isn't here today who's been a huge help in all of this, and that's our former facilities manager, Bill Davidson. As some of you might have heard uh, about a month ago, Bill suffered a pretty serious stroke, and, uh, and he's been recovering. But he spent countless hours working with the architect and, and the builders to get these plans in place. And uh, yesterday, our men's service team, they just do a wonderful job being the hands and feet in Jesus. They were out at Bill's house getting a ramp built for him, because we hope that Bill's going to return home this week and... Uh, I just, you know, continue to keep Bill and Wanda in your prayers, and then when we see Bill in a couple of weeks, would you go out of your way to thank him for all he did to help us with the Beyond initiative? Well, uh, another Christmas season has come and gone, and I'm guessing for most of you, you've uh, boxed up your decorations, and you've put them back in the attic. We know 99.5 is back to playing their usual music, and Santa's no longer hanging out in the mall, but in my house, Christmas lives on, thanks to the Hallmark Channel. So, <laughs> how, how many of you know, you know the Hallmark Channel? You have the Hallmark Channel. Uh, there, there were some times um, where this, the Advent season was so busy for my wife that these Christmas Hallmark movies had to land on our DVR. And... Uh, the, the the other day I, I came home and uh, Stephanie was watching one of these Christmas Hallmark movies that she had recorded and because there was only about fifteen minutes left I decided to sit down and and watch it with her and um, I realize I need to tread very carefully right here um, <laughs> l- lest I upset like half the congregation so with um with with all due respect um, to to the gifted writers who who give us these movies and the wonderful women who enjoy them. Um, I, oh, oh, you know, okay, so e- even though we're, we're, we're an hour and 45 minutes into, the, into this movie, I, I, I didn't have to turn to my wife and say, hey, can you fill me in on what happened? <laughs> could, could you just update me? Because I knew exactly where we're at in the storyline. If you've ever watched a, a Christmas Hallmark movie, you, you, you know how this works. You've got a male lead and you've got a female lead. And, um, and one of them is overly devoted to their career. They, like, they live in a big city, they're successfully climbing the corporate ladder, things are going well through them, and then through this like, twist of fate, they somehow manage um, to get stuck in this idyllic, quaint, small town over the holidays <laughs> where they just happen to meet an attractive person of the opposite sex. And, and through these, like, you know, forces that are, that are outside of their control, they're compelled to work together on this project. And, and as they do, they, they discover that they're developing these very strong feelings for each other and, like, all is right in the world. They're about to realize that they're perfect for each other when suddenly, with 15 minutes left in the movie, what happens? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Commercial, And then the, the, the person who, who had the, the, the career in the big city gets the call that that, that that promotion that they had been hoping for is now theirs. And, and oh, by the way, that their old love interest from the city, who's nice but oh so wrong for them, waltzes back into the picture. And it's like this big crossroads moment. Like some decisions have to be made. Uh, are, are they going to take that promotion that they have wanted and uh, resume life as it had been? Or are they going to venture off on a different path? Um, that's basically what you get an hour and 45 minutes into every Hallmark movie. And, and as I sat down to watch this one with Stephanie, it was the same. Uh, the male lead was on the horns of this dilemma, and the female lead looks at him and says, You should go to London. I want you to do what's going to make you happy. Now, I'm, I'm guessing that's advice that some of you have heard before. You know, do what will make you happy. Uh, perhaps you didn't watch the same Hallmark movie, but maybe you've seen this, like, printed somewhere, or you had a friend or a coach or a parent uh, turned to you when you were trying to make a difficult decision and said, well, you, you should just do whatever is going to make you happy. And in that specific circumstance, that might have been really good advice. But is is that always the best advice? Is is that the primary criterion we should use when making decisions in life? Should we just sit back when we're confronted with options and kind of scratch our head and say, well, you know, what's going to make me happy? And, And I think that's a question worth asking because... We see this advice all around us. You, you can hear it from celebrities. You can see it stamped on journals. You, you, you can even see it on clothes. So this isn't like a, a stock photo. This isn't something I ripped off of Google. This is, this is the clothing section at the Costco on Haynes Mall Boulevard. And the message being sent here, it's pretty simple. When it, when it comes to making decisions, not not just decisions related to our love life, but all decisions, we should just do what makes us happy. And I'm wondering how that sits with you. When, 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 when you're confronted with options, is this good guidance just to kind of figure out what it is that's going to make you happy and then do that? What do you think? Helpful advice? I would submit to you that there are times when that might be appropriate, but I I think there's a better approach out there. And I think the better approach is that whenever we have a decision to make, whenever we're in need of guidance, our first thought shouldn't be, do whatever makes you happy. Our first thought should be, do what makes God happy. And I know, like, you know, that sounds a little cliche coming from the pastor, but okay, Hear, hear me out on this. I, I think we're going somewhere that, uh, that, that's going to be beneficial. Whenever I say do whatever makes God happy, I'm not suggesting that we can somehow add to God's happiness. God's never sitting up in some corner of the cosmos pouting be, because of something we did. In fact, God is always happy because of the, the perfect fellowship, the infinite fellowship that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Son and the Spirit, God always has joy. And yet at the same time, the Bible says things like this. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Or or in Luke 15, we get this, that, that, that there's much rejoicing in heaven over one lost sinner who repents. And so I would take verses like this to mean that it's possible to please God. And in fact, Hebrews 11.6 tells us that. And so if we wanted to be more theologically precise, I think we could rephrase things this way. We could say whenever we're confronted with options, we should do whatever would be pleasing to God. We should do whatever would be pleasing to God. And the reason I say this is the better approach is because sometimes the things that we think will make us happy will actually lead to heartache. You see, all of our desires are not good desires. Now, when we become Christians, it's true that God gives us a new heart, but Galatians 5 teaches us that our sin nature isn't completely eradicated. That sin nature that we're born with, that's still there. And so that means that we're sometimes we're going to have desires that are contrary to To how the Spirit of God wants to leave us. In other words, that we we might still yearn for things, we might long for things, we might pine for things that aren't in our best interest, that aren't pure, that aren't holy, that are contrary to what God wants for our life. And, And we know that there are going to be times when doing what's pleasing to God can feel hard. Obedience to God might mean Saying no to a relationship that seems really exciting, or or to some extra income, or to a good time with friends. And and we know how how, how Satan works when we're confronted with these options. We we saw what happened in the garden. Uh, we, We know his MO based on how he operated with Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve were in the garden. And there was one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they weren't supposed to eat from. And we know, what, what do we know about this tree? That, that it was pleasing to the eye. It was an attractive thing. And Satan uh, wanted to make them believe that it was in their best interest just to, just to be guided by their own emotions. He said, he said you know, the, the reason God doesn't want you to eat from this tree is he knows that if you do it, you're going to be like him. In other words, God really doesn't have your best interest at heart. He's just trying to hold you back. You you, you, you should do what feels right to you. And that was a lie. It wasn't true for them, and it's never going to be true for us to do something that's going to be contrary to what God wants us to do. Doing what God commands is always going to be in our best interest because it's going to bring true joy. Yes, it can momentarily feel good to sin you can experience a temporary buzz. It's true. But sin will end in heartache and in regret. And while obedience to God might be hard at times, in the end, it's the path that leads to true happiness and ultimate joy. So we know when Jesus was with his his disciples on the eve of his crucifixion, they were in the upper room, and he told them this. This is from John chapter 15. He said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So Jesus is stressing the importance of obedience in order to abide in His love. Now guess what He says next. He says, These things I have spoken to you that my what? Let's say it together that my joy may be in you, and that your what? Your joy may be full. God wants to give us His joy. He wants to put His joy in us so that our joy will be complete. You know, God isn't opposed to us acting in our own self-interest. God wants us to be happy, but God wants us to know that what will make us happy isn't us running out and doing whatever feels right to us. What will make us happy is us walking in God's ways. So we we could say it this way. Do whatever will make you happy by doing what pleases God. Do whatever will make you happy by doing what pleases God. Well, then how, how do we know what will be pleasing to God when we're faced with decisions, when we have options on the table? Well, this might sound like a bit of an oversimplification, But I would suggest to you that when it comes to decision making, there are two types of decisions. Our decisions will fall into one of two categories. There are decisions where God makes his will known, and there are decisions where God gives us freedom. Now, let me unpack this. Sometimes, when we have a decision to make, we can know what would be pleasing to God because his will is clearly revealed. Now, God can make his will known in a variety of ways. Um, God God can communicate through visions and dreams. God can have a hand right on the wall. God can even speak through a donkey. But I believe the primary way that God wants to make his will known is through the scriptures. It's through his word. And so sometimes when we have decisions to make, We can know what would be pleasing to God simply by being familiar with His Word. And the more that we've immersed ourselves in His Word, the easier it's going to be for us to know the right answer when we have decisions to make. So, as an example of this, I I think back to a time when I bought a used car, and the gentleman I bought it from, he said, hey, I'm just going to leave the, uh, the purchase price blank here on the bill of sale so that you can figure out what you want to pay in taxes. So I've, I've got some options here, right? On the one hand, I can say, wait, I'm just like a poor seminary student working a couple part-time jobs, trying to make ends meet. I'm going to downplay the true purchase price of the car to, to minimize my tax burden. And then I can you know, free up some cash for tuition next semester. That would have been an option. But I knew from reading the Bible that Jesus had said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. So in this case, it was, it was obvious what would have been most pleasing to God. When we have a decision to make and God's will is clearly revealed, then it's our job to step out in obedience. It's in our best interest to make the choice that would be pleasing to Him. And the more we've immersed ourselves in the Bible, the easier it's going to be for us to know the right answer and make those choices. But what about the times when it's not that cut and dry? What about the second type of decision? Well, I would submit to you that there are some occasions where God will give us freedom as it relates to decision-making. So in the similar way that God told Adam and Eve that you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, I believe that God will extend freedom to us. And he does that. Now, God didn't tell Adam. He said, hey, you know, you see that tree over there with the red stuff on it? That's, that's breakfast on Monday. And you, you see that one over there in the back? Yeah, that's, that's lunch on Monday. And that one, yeah, that, that's, that's dinner on Monday. And proceed to give Adam a A specific menu for the entire week. And just from what we read right here, I take it to mean that God would have been equally pleased whether Adam took some fruit for breakfast from the left side of the garden or the right side of the garden or some combination in between. And in the same way, I think there are times where God will be equally pleased with whatever decision we make. And during those times where God gives us freedom, in those instances where He's equally pleased with either option, I think what we need is wisdom. We need wisdom for these types of decisions. So, when you, when you sit down for dinner at a restaurant, you have the freedom to order whatever you want from the menu. But wisdom is knowing that you shouldn't drink six Mountain Dews and eat three bloomin' onions and call it a meal. <laughs> like, that's going to create problems for you later on. And, and, and that's kind of like, you know, I realize that's a silly example, but e- even with the, the bigger decisions in life, like what job to take or where to live or what to, what to major in in school, it's possible that God will give you freedom to choose. And when that's the case, what we need from Him is wisdom. And once again, the Bible is vital for this. The more that we've saturated ourselves in Scripture, the more wisdom we're going to gain. Now, there's, there's many ways that we can gain wisdom. Uh, another way is prayer. When we have options on the table, when we're confronted with choices, uh, we, should, we should pray a prayer like the one I've heard Pastor David pray many times. It goes something like this, Lord, would you show me what would be best in this situation? And God could answer that in many ways, but I believe that one of the main ways God works to answer that prayer is through our knowledge of scripture. And the and the reason I say that is just because of what God has revealed in scripture. Like Psalm 19:7 says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure doing what? Let's read it together. Making wise the simple. In Psalm 119, verse 130, the psalmist says, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Now, in this verse, what is, what is God's word likened to? To light. It's, it's compared to light. And we saw that in the passages that Shaunice read for us earlier as well. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 2 Peter 1.19 says, And we have the prophetic word, that's the Scriptures, more fully confirmed, to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. In other words, until Jesus Returns. Now let's let's just think for a moment about what light does. It illuminates, doesn't it? And so if you were walking through the woods at night, like a flashlight, the way that it would work is that it would reveal potential pitfalls and obstacles. Light illuminates. And And I think it's significant that Scripture is compared to a light or a lamp and not an on-star navigation system. Some of you have maybe driven with a, like an on-star before. You know the way it works. It gives you some pretty specific instructions. You can be driving down the road, and it will say, in 100 meters, turn right. So, on-star dictates, but light illuminates. And, and if we operate under the assumption that the Bible is this uh, kind of glorified onsar system for our lives, then we're going to have the tendency to approach life as if it's this maze that we need to navigate. Now, in a maze, when you reach a crossroads, what happens? There's like one right answer, and there's a wrong one, isn't there? And and if we think of life as kind of like a maze, we're going to create unnecessary pressure for ourselves if we view major decisions as some kind of fork in the maze. Because what's going to happen is going to, we're going to say, okay, there's, there's one right answer here, and there's a, and there's a wrong answer. And, and I can't get the wrong answer, because if I get the wrong answer, it's going to mean I'm, I'm, going to get, I'm going to get off the path, I'm going to backtrack, I'm going to have to settle for God's plan B for my life. And rather than thinking of discovering God's will for our life as if we're trying to figure out some maze, I think it might be more helpful to think of life with God as an expedition. So you see, on an expedition, the specific route you take isn't what's most important. What's most important is the purpose of the journey. That's what matters most. See, Lewis and Clark, they they didn't cross the mississippi river and say okay here's here's the plan we're going to we're going to handrail the missouri river for 49.7 miles and then we're going to hang a hard left and we're going to go inward an in azimuth of 273 uh, they didn't do that rather what they did was they just traveled westward knowing that their objective was to create maps and discover a, a practical route across the western portion of the continent Now, in the same way, God has given us a purpose for our lives. It's that we glorify Him. And through His Word, He's given us some detailed instructions, more detailed instructions on how we do that as it relates to our behavior, our relationships, our work habits. But at the same time, God also gives us some freedom. So if you have a choice to make in life, and both options would be equally pleasing to God based on what He's revealed in His Word, then the next step is to pursue wisdom through those ways that God makes it available. We search the Scriptures. We pray and fast. We seek wise counsel. And perhaps uh, one of the options surfaces to the top as the best option. And if that doesn't happen, perhaps you just have two really good choices in front of you. And when the time comes to make a decision, as difficult as it might be, you pick the one that seems best to you. And you can do that in confidence, knowing that you're not navigating a maze. You're on an expedition with God. And whatever choice you make, it will not obstruct the outworking of God's sovereign purposes for your life. You you don't have to worry that you might have made a wrong choice and now you're going to have to settle for God's plan B for your life because God will be sovereignly at work in your decision to accomplish His goodwill for your life. But all of this is true under one condition. It assumes that you've embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Colossians 2.3 tells us that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And that means that doing what's in your best interest, that begins with embracing Jesus as the wisdom of God. If you want to make decisions that are going to lead to a great life, then you need to embrace the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you've never done that before, I want to give you the opportunity to do that now. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we would acknowledge our need For guidance from you. We know that we're lost without you. We know that we would be left in the darkness without you. And we thank you that you have looked upon us as sheep without a shepherd. And we thank you for sending your son and speaking through him so that we can know the way, the truth and the life. And God, I pray for those of us here who have the tendency to not consult you when it comes to our decisions. That when we have options, our first instinct is to to look inside ourselves and to do what seems right in our own eyes. And God, we would confess that and acknowledge now that we want to do what pleases You most so that Your joy can be in us and that our joy can be full. God, we pray that You would increase our devotion for You and for Your Word so that we can experience Your joy. And God, I pray for the person here who is yet to make the most important decision of all, the decision to trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And if that's you and you're here today, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. The Father's arms are open wide. And if you want to experience His embrace, you can just say a prayer like this in the quietness of your heart. God, I know I'm separated from you. And I know I need a Savior. And I thank you for sending your son Jesus to live the perfect life I could never live and to bear the punishment that I earned. And I want to be covered in his righteousness. And I want to experience your embrace. I repent. And I want to live for you all the days of my life. And we pray all these things now. In the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.